Chapter 11. Fucking Hell. Caitlin and Chaplain Davies came out through the front door and found the men of D Company amassed in the courtyard, surrounding Grigori's buckboard and its lion cage. The yard filled with the electric thrill and heady kick that the presence of the young male lion elicited, stalking back and forth proudly in his cage, flicking his tail in annoyance, inviting all comers to step in and try him. Sergeant Thomas stood closest to the cage, a wide grin lighting up his face. He kept repeating, Fucking hell! to himself, a joyful little mantra, trying to convince his brain that this was actually happening. Perhaps it was a nurse's instinct that drew Caitlin's gaze to Durant. All the men in the yard were soldiers, but Durant's uniform was caked with mud and darker brown stains that could only be dried blood. He glanced in her direction, and in that moment, Caitlin felt a flash of deja vu. For the briefest instant, before her stood her dead brother, Aiden, revivified. Ginger hair, twinkling blue eyes, and the rakish smile that guaranteed mischief was afoot and forgiveness requested even before the misdemeanor had been committed. The moment broke in two, as the lion loosed a full-throated roar. Caitlin and the whole assembly jumped backward from the cage. When she looked back at Durant, she saw that she had been mistaken. In truth, the Canadian lieutenant looked nothing like her dead baby brother. Sergeant Thomas stood his ground when the lion roared. The lone nutter. He burst out laughing, high as a kite on adrenaline, recalling his days bare-knuckling it in the ring for a few quid. Fucking hell! The lion held Bert's gaze for a moment, then turned on the Germans, cowering in a cage of their own. His teeth bared, and a growl came up from the depths, directed at the feral men, as if ashamed that these lesser caged beasts had lost their pride and courage behind the bars when he had refused to. The Germans pressed back against the courtyard wall, terrorized. James Cox watched it all from behind the relative safety of his motorcycle. Golly, but France became more alien and impressive every day. The Cossack strapped a feed bag to the chestnut draft horse hitched to the wagon. He wiped his hands on his trousers and then strutted out before the cage, a carnival barker turning on the gawkers. Now my friend Soda visits a zoo, yes? The boys of D Company laughed. Major Wilkins approached the Cossack. What's your business here? Grigori saluted. Major, I am a soul Captain Yemifovich, 17th Cossacks. Wilkins returned the salute. You're a long way from home, Captain. Or not we all, friend. Wilkins' smile conceded that truth. And your purpose? I have traveled many miles and many days to carry missives to your general staff. And second to this is my good friend Soda the Lion. I meet him in the field with the Americans of Lafayette's Sescadrille. They are crazy boys in their aeroplanes. God save me from that death, yes? To catch fire and fall from sky at the same time. No, no. This is no way for a man to perish, yes? One or the other, if you please. Well, these Americans adopt Soda and his brother, Whiskey, as company mascots. 
And now soda is so big, as you see, and they cannot feed them both. I deliver Mr. Soda to Paris Zoo as gift from the escadrille. Wilkins glanced at the lion, keeping any sense that he was moved by the beast unseen. He lived by the unspoken code, that a true Englishman had seen it all and was rarely, if ever, impressed. Very well. You'll need to pull your wagon into the field for the night. No, sir, I, I will not impose. Paris calls. I must continue on my journey. At the gate, Dr. Halstead sucked in a final pull on his cigarette and skittered it away on the stones. Right then, mate. That being the case, you want to get that monster out of here? No need to worry, sir. He's perfectly tame. Halstead raised an eyebrow. Mate, I've seen a fair amount of wild game in my time. Tame or no, none reacts well to a bleeding man. And it looks like I've got at least one of those coming this way. Wilkins and Gregory followed Halstead's gaze to a band of approaching travellers. Unger and Strothman led the little column, bearing Diestel's bloody body on the makeshift stretcher. Behind them were Francois and Isaiah, with Renoir bringing up the rear. Halstead continued. I'd rather stop his current blood loss before that pussycat gets upset and additional wounds get tacked on. Grigori nodded. Yes, I see. Of course. Immediately, he pulled the feedback off his horse. As he headed for the wagon seat, he extended a hand to Durant. Good luck, Lieutenant. Until we meet again. Survive the night, and dawn will come. Then Gregory was on the buckboard, reining the horse, turning the wagon sharply toward the exit, bouncing it over the cobblestones and onto the Paris road to the dismay of the soldiery. Sergeant Thomas spurred them all back to the moment at hand. All right, you lot, break it up. Enough shuffling about. Yes, it was a fucking lion. Now it's gone. Coming up on time for dinner, right? As the British soldiers began their dispersal back to camp, Durant watched Grigori disappear into the evening, digesting the odd farewell. Moments later, Jonah Unger and Wolfgang Strothman steered bloody Diestel on his stretcher through the front gates, with Isaiah Taylor, Francois and Renoir in tow. Dr. Halstead was already on his way toward Diestel. Nurse O'Leary, bring my kit. Caitlin hurried up the steps and into the abbey. Spent! Jonah Unger and Captain Strothman deposited Diestel's stretcher on the ground. Dr. Holstead knelt down beside him and began to examine his wounds. Isaiah and Francois dropped their kits. They relaxed up against the stone balustrade of the stairway and watched it unfold. Isaiah lit a pair of gauwas and passed one to Francois. Nearby, the young American James Cox watched the gore uneasily. He had never seen so much human blood before. Diestel's skin had embraced an unnatural shade of white without all that too-taken-for-granted hemoglobin to keep him in the pink. Major Wilkins and Sergeant Thomas met Renoir at the centre of the courtyard. Sergeant, what have you got for us this evening? Major, we have some specimen of the German army for your interrogation. Wilkins appraised Strothman, Unger, and the supine body of Diestel. What happened to that one? Renoir shrugged in the Parisian style. A jungle cat attack him. Sergeant Thomas's jaw dropped in awe. What? The fucking lion attacked him? Renoir shook his head. The lion? No. 
a leopard of some kind. A bloody leopard? In France? You must be joking. No, Sergeant. I do not make a joke. Francois, he killed the leopard. Sergeant Thomas Gafford. He looked at Isaiah and Francois smoking by the stairway. Bloody hell, you're on fucking safari. Gonna call you the great white hunter from now on. You even got a pair of niggers to carry your kit. Isaiah Taylor caught the two syllables as they came out of Sergeant Thomas's mouth, and time dilated for him. His grip tightened on the smooth wood pump and the rounded steel of his shotgun's trigger housing, and he considered what the resulting response would be if he unloaded a shell, or three, into the face of this bantam rooster limey son of a bitch. The image gave him a private smile. The moment cracked, as Caitlin came back down the stairs behind Isaiah, with Halstead's medical kit. Beg pardon, Corporal. Isaiah smiled at the Irish girl and stepped clear of the way. Yes, miss. Just about anything for you. His eyes followed her as she joined Halstead and Chaplain Davies by Diestel. Francois nudged Isaiah. She is a lovely one, yes. Isaiah grinned back. Makes me almost wish I was the one on that stretcher, deputy. No, no, my friend. What's left of him? will not be on that stretcher for long. That's what I'm saying. If that's the last thing I was to see, I just about could die a happy man. Francois's laugh rumbled in his chest. Mm, I am low on ammunition. He hefted his bag of heads, and I go to collect my English jam. As you say, deputy. Isaiah aimed a nod toward Diesel. Give that boy a minute, you can get another mess of jams. Francois shouldered the sandbag. I have enough. These will do. He sauntered through the courtyard, heading out the gate toward the main British encampment. Durant watched it all, as if from a great distance. Fatigue was beginning to overwhelm him. If he could have lain down and succumbed, he would have. Caitlin's voice broke through his exhaustion. Lieutenant, are you hurt? It took him a second to realize that she was speaking to him. No. I'm all right. Are there more of your company coming in? All of our hospital staff has been shifted north. We may need to ring for ambulances. Durant looked at her, uncomprehending. Casualties? Should we be prepared for casualties? She asked. His answer stammered out. No, no casualties, no wounded. All lost. All lost. The words struck Caitlin. There seemed to be a truth there, past truth, carved in stone, a dread forecast. It sent a small shiver running up her spine, starting at the base of her cossacks, where the ancient lizard brain still held sway. Major Wilkins overheard. All lost, Lieutenant. What's the story? Duran saluted. Canadian Expeditionary Force, 2nd Brigade, 8th Battalion. I'm on my way to headquarters to find my regiment. Durant cleared the dust from his throat. My company was holding the salient north of Beaumont-Amel while the regiment retired. The Germans broke our line. I see. And your company? Durant wanted to scream out that they were dead. Every last fucking man that he had seen and smelled and sat with their corpses, but he knew that would not go over too well. I think. If there are other survivors... I expect they'll be trying to get to GHQ as well. Major Wilkins processed that. He assessed Durant. 
but you fear all lost. Juan paused a moment. Then he spoke what he knew was not a fear, but a certainty. I do. Sergeant Major Renoir smoothed his moustache. Mon dieu, a horror, Lieutenant. I am sorry for your loss. Durant glanced at Renoir and nodded. There was genuine sympathy in Major Wilkins' mien. A damn shame. Yes, you must get to GHQ as soon as possible. You may bill it here for the night. You're welcome to stay in the officers' quarters. It's all right, Major. I'll make do in the field. Thank you. Major Wilkins nodded. Very well. He turned his attention back to Renoir and the German prisoners. This captain was a fine fish to catch, a nice feather for Wilkins' cap, and the scrawny corporal with his iron cross would be excellent for his account as well. But he played it cool. Best not to have the Belgian Sergeant Major believe he would be in his debt. I suppose we can take your prisoners, Sergeant Major. They don't outnumber us yet. Thank you, Major. I would be glad to have them off my hands. Wilkins nodded curtly to Bert Thomas. Sergeant, see to them. Called to duty, Sergeant Thomas bowled straight into action. Yes, sir. He puffed out his chest and raised the volume of his voice, perhaps figuring to cut through any language barrier. All right, you jerry bastard fucks. In the stockade you go. Double time. He prodded Strothman, but Strothman held his ground. He stepped forward and gave Owen Wilkins a salute. Major, Wilkins returned the salute formally. Isaiah Taylor laughed quietly at the ridiculousness of it all. These two might as easily have been knights, raising their visors in the twelfth century, a salutation across the field of battle. Lancelot and Arthur getting ready to joust over that sweet young thing, Guinevere. I am Captain Wolfgang Strathman, First Guards Division. As we are now under your care, I want to lodge a formal complaint. Isaiah and Renoir exchanged a glance. Oh, boy, Isaiah muttered under his breath. Wilkins smiled. Your English is excellent, Captain. Thank you. I spent a semester at Sandhurst as an adjutant to Kaiser Wilhelm's staff. Sandhurst? What year? What nine? I'll be damned. I began my course of study there in ten. A small world we live in. Yes, Major. There is a matter. Strothman pointed to Isaiah and Renoir. These men have committed crimes. My commanding officer was murdered by this man. He singled out Isaiah after we had given up our arms in surrender. And the other black man, the one who was left, he decapitated him. Their sergeant major is aware of what they've done. He witnessed the beheading, but did nothing to stop it. Wilkins looked from Renoir to Isaiah. Isaiah shrugged his shoulders. That ain't exactly how I recollect it. Wilkins turned to Renoir. Sergeant Major. Renoir shrugged his shoulders in pure innocence. I don't think so, Major. Strothman eyed them both. The Senegal has Major Schmidt's head and several others in that sandbag he carries. Owen Wilkins' hands rested on his hips. He sucked his lower lip and exhaled his frustration. He found himself mired in a difficult spot. Even so, Captain, I have no authority over the French legionnaires. However, if you wish to lodge a formal complaint with the French command, I will provide you with paper and pencil to do as you see fit. I'm afraid that's the best I can do. 
Strothman chewed that over for a moment before he spoke. He was unsatisfied, but he understood Owen's predicament. Very well. That will have to do. Thank you, Major. You must have supper with me. I insist. One Sandhurst man to another. Bring your man to serve as an orderly. Of course, Major. He turned to Unger and spoke in German. Corporal, you come with me? Unger spoke absolutely no English, so he was unsure what precisely was occurring, but he put his trust in Strothman. Yes, sir. Wilkins began to lead Strothman toward the stairs. James Cox finally found the courage to come out from behind the safety of his motorcycle. He presented himself to Wilkins and textbook to salute. Major, I'm Private Cox from General Headquarters. I brought you dispatches, sir. Sergeant Thomas stepped in between them and grabbed the leather pouch that James offered. Wilkins nodded. Better good, Private. In the future, my company clerk is the proper recipient. James blushed. Oh, of course. I'm sorry, sir. That's, that's my first delivery. Thank you, sir. Wilkins turned and led Strothman and Unger up the stairs and into the abbey. James shrugged. He wasn't sure what he had expected, but he was not used to being treated as anything less than an equal by his fellow white men. This was all going to take some getting used to. Durant eased past Chaplain Davies, who stood behind Deestel's stretcher, watching the efforts to save the man, prepared to do his bit if Halstead failed. Dr. Halstead leaned back from Deestel's body. He wiped his bloody hands on a rag, disgust and disappointment on his face. Too much trauma? Too much blood lost? He motioned to Caitlin. Give me two serrets. Caitlin passed a pair of morphine ampules to Halstead. His practiced hands injected the opiates into Diesel's bloodstream, letting the sagging pulse carry it to his heart, and from there to every last inch of him, turning his painful unconsciousness to stupor in a heart's beat. Durant glanced down at Diesel as the drugs began to do their work. Diesel's eyes flashed open, locking with Durant's. The cut of a sadist's smile flickered across the ravaged features. Durant's breath caught. He blinked once, and the image was gone. Diesel's eyes were closed, the face inanimate, as if it had never engaged with him at all. Hold on to the sanity you have left. Hold on to it tight. He urged his exhausted mind. He forced himself onward, crossing the yard, past where Isaiah and Renoir were picking up their kits. Beside them, James attempted not to watch Diestel die, busying himself at toying with the carburetor on the Triumph. Yet he could not help himself from casting furtive glances over at the human being expiring ten feet away from him. Durant interrupted his reverie. Private, you're from headquarters? G yes, sir. Can you give me a lift there in the morning? W why, yes, sir, of course. Renoir finished gathering up his kit bag and Francois's as well. He glanced over at Durant. Lieutenant, you are welcome to share our file tonight. It is not the officer's quarters, but it will suffice. Durant digested the invitation, then he nodded. Thank you, Sergeant Major. I appreciate that. Renoir nudged Isaiah. Let us find a place in the field that will be suffisant. Yes, boss. Whatever you say. At Diesel's side, Halstead spoke quietly to Caitlin. Bring a sheet. I'll stay till he passes. 
Caitlin gathered up Halstead's medical kit in bloody rags. He leaned back against the wall, pulled out a player's navy cut and lit it, inhaling gratefully. Finally, he would be able to enjoy his fucking cigarette in something akin to peace. Caitlin watched Durant walk with Renoir and Isaiah toward the open field. Then she turned and headed up the stairs into the abbey. <laughs>